Hello! Welcome to the Mind Buffs Podcast. I am your host, Matt Demoisak, and today I am sitting across the room from co-host Linz Piper. Now, for those of you that have listened to the first two episodes, you know that we spend our conversations looking at coach-athlete relationship, uh, and specifically... Linz has had an opportunity to kind of share a lot of her story from her college experience. And she's going to kind of report back on what our first two episodes have been like, kind of what the reception has been like, and to kind of help us transition into what the next topic is that we're going to be focusing on uh, in this conversation. So Linz, fire away. Hi, everyone. So the feedback has been mostly positive and a lot of people feeling heard, a lot of athletes feeling heard, which is so nice. Um, Only a few more on the negative side, um, which leads to our point of the feedback that's more negative is what perpetuates that culture of silence that we were talking about, because obviously nobody likes to have negative feedback. And then you start to question, maybe I shouldn't have said this or that, but the amount of positive feedback and the amount of amount of athletes saying that they were heard really makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Even from my own clients, um, the amount of people that have told me that, you know, they felt like they weren't crazy anymore, that, you know, they look back on their career and are like, was that okay? Was that not okay? I remember feeling sad. I remember feeling angry. I remember feeling alone, but no one else said that they felt that way. So maybe maybe I'm making this up in my head. Um, and I know that that was also, you know, something that you had to process. You'd be like, is, is this story important? Did that happen? Like, is this something that could help people? But the overwhelming response that we've gotten from, from most people when listening to these conversations has been one of complete validation of their experiences in, in that relationship. Because, and I know I've said this before, other than parent-child relationship, there is no relationship that is more impactful, whether that be positive or negative, than the coach-athlete relationship. And that's why you know we're devoting so much time looking at that relationship because whether it is your you know music teacher or your basketball coach, like that mentor-mentee, that coach relationship is incredibly profound on the development of uh, the athlete or the perform- performer psyche. Um, so yeah, maybe why don't you go into a little bit of detail about what impact and intention is, because that's really where we want to take this conversation going forward, because we know it's not all coaches intentionally are causing negative emotions and stress to their athletes, but it happens quite a lot. So why is that? So why don't you kind of go into the definition? Yeah. So intent is like the coach's initial purpose or motivation behind their actions. Um, And like Matt said, it is not purposely malicious. Like most coaches are trying to be positive and they're trying to motivate their athletes, improve their performance, like increase teamwork, all of those sorts of things. So for an example, like a coach might be trying to motivate their players um, by pushing them, but sometimes that encouragement or pushing their players is through tactics like yelling at them or having them run more whatever it is, right? Whereas impact is the actual effect or the outcome on the athletes. 
Um, So sometimes despite those positive intentions, like we said, the coach's impact and their behavior might not align with what the athletes need. Um, An example of that, again, is like really intense demeanor during practices or games, again, might be trying to motivate the athletes, but it actually creates like a lot of stress and anxiety in the athletes. Right. And so even going back to our first two conversations, we're not here to criticize the people that are coaching. We're here to criticize the tactics that are being used that have been around for decades and decades and decades within sport. So we know that there are great coaches that have really bad moments. And what we want to be able to highlight is that even though we know that your intention as a coach is to win, is to be able to get the highest level of performance that you can out of your athletes, we need to move away from tactics that resolve to using fear as a motivation. If you don't play better, I will take your playing time away. If you don't increase your shooting percentage, I will take your time away. And that is kind of the tactics that most of us have kind of grown up being accustomed to in in our careers. And what we know is that when there is a fear element in that coach-athlete relationship, all that does is activate a low to moderate hum of that fight-or-flight response the entire time that athlete is around that coach. And we know you cannot be in flow state. You cannot access your procedural memory, which is all of the drills that you practice your entire life so that you never have to think about it when there is fear present. So what we're trying to kind of highlight in today's episode are like different ways in which we are still having the same intention. We're still looking for the same result, but the impact we're having is far more positive, far more beneficial which means it increases the performance of the athletes by just approaching that relationship with more care and more concern in terms of how we are treating our athletes emotionally. Yeah. And we will say this all of the time because Matt and I have also both been coaches. We know it's a lot of work and we know that the focus is, yeah, we want to win, but there are better ways to do it that more coaches should implement. Yeah. One of the other things I wanted to kind of comment on before we really jump into today's episode was just kind of briefly talking about some of the negative feedback that we got from the first two episodes. We're not going to be those people that every time there's a negative comment or like negative response, or like we're going to respond to that and justify like what we did or what we said. That's not the point, but also just to highlight more evidence as to how difficult it it is to have important conversation within sport without it feeling like we are isolating people or trying to convince other people that you know their experience must have been horrible as well or whatever that connotation is but and i know this because we've had several sessions with other athletes that talk about this it is incredibly confusing and very complex to process your relationship with the coach where there are 50% of the memories as being really positive, positively impactful, someone who really believed in you and supported you. And yet the other 50% kind of borderline abusive of being made fun of and invalidated in front of your entire team, of being blamed that the loss happened because you didn't perform. You know, these tactics that are clearly coming out of anger. And 
when you're that player that has experienced both the love and the hate from your coach, that is a very difficult thing to process. And so we might notice that we kind of have these defense mechanisms of trying to protect the part of ourselves that hasn't wanted to truly see what our experience was like, to remember only the good parts. It's one of our brain's most fantastic survival mechanisms in childhood that, you know, if we had a okay or not so great childhood, we'll intentionally not remember, try to avoid the negative things that happened because it hurts to think about it. So we'll kind of make the experience seem like it was better than it really was. Otherwise, it, it hurts. So the culture of silence is perpetuated in large by people not wanting to face their own reality of like, actually, this has been difficult for me too, or the way that that person is behaving is not okay. But in order to support someone who is sharing their story and trying to speak out, you also have to acknowledge for yourself that there are things that you need to process as well. And so, you know, kind of bringing this last point um, to like a simplistic summary people's avoidance of conflict, people's avoidance of difficult emotion is a large reason why change doesn't happen within sport, within work, within a lot of different like organizations, because it means you actually have to have really difficult conversation about how we can make things better. So, you know, we're happy that we're getting both positive and negative feedback because it means that we're, we're touching the right sore spots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, if you are somebody listening and you have not had that personal experience, we just urge you to think about like people you know that may have, or if you are seeing behaviors that might be impacting other athletes in a certain way, that's great that you have not had a negative experience with a coach. We love that for you, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So it's just paying attention to your teammates too, rather than just yourself. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to, to share this quote from a research article that was looking specifically at the coach-athlete dyad, that relationship. Um, it's kind of one of the early um, comments made in the introduction section to kind of lead into how it was highlighting the importance of that relationship being um, needing to be really positive. So the quote is, you know, studies have reported that close dyadic relationships based on respect, affection, and commitment benefit the development of athlete excellence contributing to the personal growth of both athletes and coaches. In contrast, naturally, dyads characterized by distance and absence of commitment imply interpersonal conflicts, exhaustion, dissatisfaction, and a lack of interest inside and outside the sport context. What's important to know about that relationship is that the more the athlete trusts and feels unconditionally safe in that relationship with the coach, the higher the ceiling is for the potential of that athlete. So if your intention as a coach is to win, is to get the most out of your athletes, you need to completely retool the tactics that you are using and move away from those traditional um, like motivational tactics and focus more on relational tactics of just making your entire team feel safe and heard and seen that literally has a direct correlation to increased performance. The research has been there for quite some time. So we're not asking you to, you know, be super soft 
and be really squishy and only consider the emotional needs of your athletes and to put away all the coaching tactics and the strategies and the game plans. No, there is a way to merge both all of your expertise as a coach, but like softening your relationship skills and you will see a complete 180 shift in the culture of your team. Totally. And I, I'm just kind of giggling to myself as we talk about this because I can picture coaches being like, I don't want to be soft. <laughs> but you explained it really well. It's you are not changing your technical coaching skills. It is all the relational and communication skills that Matt's talking about that will make that huge, huge difference. Yeah. So again, the the thing that we want the rest of our conversation to kind of look into is that impact versus intention. Again, like for those of you that are coaches, that are mentors, teachers, like, unless you're you're an asshole and you just embody that, um, there's nothing I can do for you. Like good luck having happy relationships in life. But I know for the vast majority of you people, like you obviously want to have a good impact. You want to both have success. You want your athletes to like you. But if you have kind of hidden agendas of you personally wanting to have success, of you personally looking good, whether it's within your league or looking good to higher levels within sport for your own development as a coach, if that is your priority, your impact on your players will be negative because you will be prioritizing the wrong things. It's it's the basic like control the controllables in sport, right? As a coach, if you're focused on winning and your own career advancement, you are going to lose sight of the little things you need to do to even achieve that goal. So I hope this conversation today is just kind of an opportunity for you to maybe challenge what your priorities are, what your intention is when you get to the rink, whether it's like a practice or a game. Yeah. And there's four specific strategies that we could talk about for the impact versus intent. The first one is having self-awareness, right? Knowing what your intent may be perceived by or perceived as by your players. Am I having a positive impact on them? Am I motivating them the right way? Am I reaching all of my players, right? The second one is effective communication, which sounds like common sense, but communicating with your players what you're trying to achieve, what your intent is, right? They can then start to almost align what they're doing with what you're trying to achieve rather than having, yeah, if it's whether it's a hidden agenda or not even a hidden agenda, your players just don't know what you're trying to achieve mm. because you haven't talked to them about mm-hmm. it. So the communication is a huge one. And that goes for any position of power, coach, em- employer, teacher, anybody, that communication The next one is adaptability. So coaching, you should be willing to adapt your approach based on feedback that you get from your players and other coaches. Maybe that's a swallowing your pride situation (laughs) where you don't really like the feedback that you're getting. But if you're noticing or you're getting the feedback that it is not having the impact on your players that you originally intended it to, having that ability to adapt and change and make those adjustments is just going to support you as a coach and your players. And then the last one is accountability. So again, taking responsibility for the impact of your actions. Again, swallowing your pride maybe. If you have upset somebody, you likely did not do it on purpose, but having the accountability to accept that, okay, maybe I did do something the wrong way. How can I change that? How can I move forward with this player and support them in the way that they need? 
I, I love those. Um, yeah, let's like kind of go back to the top there. That that first um, technique that you that you talked about or that skill. Yeah, the self awareness. Yeah, yeah. So when when we look at like increasing the size of our team here at Mindbus, which we're currently doing right now, uh, we're bringing in admin staff, we're hiring two new students, we're interviewing another psychologist. Our interviews are like eighty percent focused on trying to discover how self aware are you as a human. If you're not self-aware, you have no idea the impact that you are having around you. You're living in your small little world where you think that everything that you're doing is working really, really great. It's that kind of that complacency, that that surface level, like focus in life. It's very shallow, short-sighted, and, and, and over time, it creates issues in your life personally because you're not growing. And you can kind of see the landmines that you're just leaving this trail behind you in your relationships. You have to be self-aware. And that is a lifelong journey. Socrates, know thyself. This shit has been around for a long time. It's not some new secret in performance psychology that you will perform better as a coach. You will perform better as an athlete if you are more self-aware. This is like step one to everything. Even when we do therapy with our clients, we don't even get into the juice. We don't dig up the trauma. We don't start using any of our fancy tricks until we know that we can see that our client's level of self-awareness is increasing and that they're prioritizing that just as a value in their life. So it starts here with everything, no matter what we're talking about. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking immediately of your and Kayla's podcast of, am I the problem? <laughs> yeah. Is it me? Sometimes that self-awareness helps you realize that. Totally. Yeah. Um, we know that going over video right, um, with your team is one of the most important ways to be able to uh, prepare for who your next opponent is. Most important way, even more so than practice. Like The research is actually really close in this in terms of whether or not we improve more uh, during practice or when we actually like break down film to actually see and analyze how we're performing. As a coach, you need to bring your own game film for how you're communicating to your team. It's not that after every game, you are being self-critical and ruminating on every little imperfection that you feel transpired during that game. It is wondering, okay, did I actually have the impact that I intended? And even if your intention is pure, that your intention is rooted in something really great. Sometimes it does have the opposite impact. And, and that kind of brings us to your the fourth point of like, you know, just take accountability for the fact that you just missed the mark just by a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry that that's how you felt. My intention was this, you know, I'll, I'll try to improve the way that I communicate with you going forward. That moment on the receiving end is one of the most amazing things that you can possibly experience. I don't know if if you've ever experienced that like outside of your relationship with your boyfriend, but that moment is just so good. Yeah, I'm just thinking of if any relationship you have in your life, if somebody came to you and said, you know what, what I planned on doing didn't come across as I wanted, uh, didn't play out as I wanted, however it was. Hearing that from somebody, oh, you would just feel so good knowing that like, oh, they actually care about how I feel or how I perceived it because if they didn't, they wouldn't be following up with it. I think of, for those of you who are also Ted Lasso lovers, and honestly, if you play sport and you haven't watched it, there's something wrong with you. Like mm -hmm. I 
find a way to watch it. Use a friend's Apple, pirate it if you must. I mean, I didn't say that. Do whatever you want. But there's a scene uh, early in, in the first season where um, like one of the lead actresses is, is challenged by um, you know an older peer where it's like, you know, does your boyfriend ever take accountability? Because accountability matters. And when she thought about it, you kind of see her world just like replaying the entire relationship tape, going back to every time there was a fight, every time that there was a disagreement, anytime there was conflict. And never in any of those moments was there any accountability taken by her partner. It is. It, it makes you go crazy if you stay in these relationships and there's never accountability because our brain will then begin to naturally assume, I must be the problem. Mm-hmm. I must be the drama. Oh, it must be me. Otherwise, they would have like taken accountability for this conflict. So it can make your team slowly go crazy over the course of the year when you make mistakes and you never take accountability for it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, which also ties to the strategy of effective communication. That is just, well, sounds like common sense, <laughs> but taking accountability also requires you to have that communication with yourself and with your players or whoever it is to, yeah, again, communicate like, look, that's not what I meant to do. Uh, can I, what can I change for you to make it better? Maybe they don't have any ideas. So you reflect on your own. Be more self-aware. Communicate with yourself. How can I change something so that it's perceived better or I can be more impactful than I originally thought I was? Here's a simple exercise that you can do um, as a coach. I'll I'll give an example that'll be more universal just um, in relationships in general. But when you are driving to your next game as a coach or even as an athlete, I want you to notice the last couple thoughts that cross your mind across that ticker tape right before you get out of the car and step into the arena. What are those thoughts? Are the thoughts about, oh man, like if you win tonight, like we're going to be first place. It's really tight. We got a couple more games before playoffs. Is your thought about, man, like we're only going to win if if I can get our like our bench players or like our third line to really like throw up some offense tonight. If those are the last thoughts you're having, which by the way, are totally normal. And of course you're going to have those thoughts. But if those are the last ones before you put that coach hat on and step into the arena, every thought, every feeling, every intention that you have is going to be governed by those outcomes, which are completely outside of your control. In the same way, when you get home after work, you've had a big day, maybe it was physically demanding, maybe it was mentally, emotionally demanding. The last few thoughts that you have when you get out of your car to go in the home, is it, oh, I can't wait to turn the TV on. I can't wait to just like, oh, sit on the couch, eat some food and be by myself. You walk in the door and this bright, beautiful smile and these big eyes from your partner's like, welcome home, sweetheart. And you're like, oh, I'm not ready to connect right now. If we're not aware that like our intention was to actually kind of disconnect and we come home and our partner's like, I'm ready to connect. Everything you say, everything you do is going to come across as awkward, uncomfortable, and you're going to be creating micro-conflict the whole time because what your partner wants is completely different than what you want. I I know all of you know what I'm talking about right now. (laughs) I'm even laughing at that. Yeah, it's so true. And again, it's back to that. You're not intentionally trying to be rude. You just were coming home like, I... Well, I can talk about my day yesterday. (laughs) I had grade five saying the most horrendous things yesterday. Oh my goodness. So by the end of the day, I was just like, 
I just don't want to hear any more voices. <laughs> I just want to relax. Right. And so communication, <laughs> you tell your partner that or whoever yeah. it is, you avoid those little conflicts, all of those little fights that would pile up because they're just those little micro ones. Like my, Matt said, doesn't have to be a big explosion, but talking about, look, I just need 20 minutes to decompress before we have a conversation. Yes, that's talking about your partner, but it could be with your parents after a game instead of getting into the car with them after and knowing that maybe the conversation is not going to be so good, understanding that I need a little bit of time after a game and then we can have a conversation. Allows you to be prepared for the conversation, but maybe also allows the other person to simmer down a little bit before having that conversation. Totally. And like as a coach, like you have way more power, right? We talked about in that first episode, that power differential between coach and athlete is massive. So the onus is on you to be the adult. Put your big boy, your big girl pants on and like start to take accountability for the ecosystem that you are creating and maintaining. Because that's on you. That's your system. And you are inviting the players into that, which brings us to the third point you would mention, which is adaptability. Man, I, I'm sick and tired. Like I have no more patience left when it comes to like coaches who just coach one way. It it just drives me up the wall. There's no research to support it. There never has been. It's just, it's egotistical. It's stubborn. It's that avoidance of doing something that's different or hard because it feels uncomfortable. We have to completely change the way that we communicate, the way that we organize the season, the way that we plan things based on the personalities on our team. If you don't do that, you will unintentionally or if you've been doing this for years, it's intentionally, let's be real. You will isolate and alienate several people on your team that do not fit your singular coaching philosophy. You have to adapt. Yeah, 100%. And it's a lot of work to understand all of your players in that sense. And you might be thinking, well, I have the players that can like receive yelling or whatever it is, and, and they do get motivated by it. I have friends who... They can handle that. Like they can handle getting screamed at to be motivated, but not every player can do that. And yeah, maybe there's the mindset of, well, then they're just not mentally tough and they can't play. That's not it. Every personality, whether or not you're an athlete, every personality needs different things. And just as a coach, like you should be proud of like the position that you're in and the respect that you've earned to be in this place of power and having these athletes look up to you. So this is just part of being that safe person for them and like being a coach and helping them reach their peak. Totally. Again, like that coach athlete relationship, it is, it's just symbolic for so many other relationships in life. If you are trying to approach life the same way every single time without considering how it's impacting the people around you, you will not have great relationships. You just won't. And and so it, it's not a difficult thing. It's not rocket scientists. It's not that you are completely remodeling yourself to be someone completely different. It's learning to take like what your natural strengths are as a coach, as a leader, as a communicator, and trying to walk across that bridge halfway with each one of your different athletes to learn like what do they need to come their half of the way. And so you really are 
as a coach, more responsible for modeling healthy relationship, then you are getting your athletes to a higher skill level in the next year. That's on the athletes, right? Your job is just that season to create the safest environment that you can for the potential of each one of your athletes to to reach as high as it can. And it just, it does not happen when you're using those old school traditional fear tactics or isolating individuals, calling them out in front of the team. Like Lindsay said, maybe you have like one crazy old soul on your team that likes that, but you need to communicate that clearly that they're okay with that as a motivational tactic. Otherwise, it could very likely be a traumatic moment that they carry with them for the rest of their life. And I'm not being dramatic. Mm-hmm. I- I'm not. These are the sessions that we have with our athletes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred percent accurate. And again, just really looking, trying to look past that resistance to change if it's kind of in the back of your mind. And while this has worked for me for years and years and years, it won't always work. And I want to like reiterate that huge point that Matt just said, all it takes is the one time for that one player who used to be able to take that to no longer be able to take it. And then it changes their perception of you, their perception of themselves, their perception of their sport, right? It's very, very impactful. And we just want everybody in the sports world to be happy. (laughs) Not that you'll be happy all the time. No, because sport is also suffering. Yes. Um, but I uh, just watched that uh, Captains of the World uh, Netflix doc about the uh, um, the last World Cup in Qatar. And, um, oh, which captain was it? Was it Messi? I think I'm forgetting which one it was, but essentially they talked about how um, like the most difficult thing in soccer is like going to like penalty kicks, just the amount of pressure that, is is there when everyone in the arena is is looking at you um to score that goal or make that save and he's like it's 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 suffering it's painful it's agony like being in the moment but like soccer is suffering and and so is life it's not that we're supposed to avoid conflict mm-hmm. avoid pain avoid suffering when we do that's where we typically create mental health issues it's like what difficult conversations do i need to have with myself or with my team to be able to evolve to get to that next level um, just as kind of we wrap things up here, I, I had a question for you just to kind of highlight um, how similar your different intentions might be, but maybe how different the result is. So when you think back in your career as a basketball player, what intention did you need to have for you to play your best like as a player? The one that I needed to have, yeah, but I needed. maybe didn't have. Yeah. Well, needed to have would be just going out there and being confident that I know what I'm doing. Um, and I'm just thinking of like being in the flow state, which we've talked about before. When you get out there and you know what you're doing, so you're not overthinking anything. You're not being terrified of making a mistake and getting pulled off or getting yelled at or whatever it is. To me, that intent is just staying calm and knowing like you're good at this, you know what to do. Just go and trust yourself. Yeah. Like I can trust myself. I can trust my skill that I've, I have enough. Yeah. Yeah. And if that was the intent, oftentimes the impact is that you, you do perform well Yeah. because you are in that. Well, I say easygoing because to me and my flow state, like that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, 
that easygoing performance. I'm just doing what I do. Yeah, right. So like really simply, like if your mindset, if your intention was like trust, whether it's like trusting yourself or trusting your teammates, that is kind of like the door to access flow state for you. What intention do you feel like you had on most nights when you weren't feeling that way? Um, hmm. Either don't mess up mm-hmm. or like something around like you got to play lights out. Got to play perfectly. Yeah. Don't make a mistake. Yeah. Right. I'm assuming that didn't work out for you. Um, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time. For me, the one intention that it sneaks in, it's like, it's not like I'm like preparing that that's my focus. That's the mindset I want to have when I play. But um, for me, especially in team sport, it's like, I also, I need to be perfect. I need to, this sounds like egotistical, I need to carry the team. Like I'm typically one of the higher school players on most teams I play. So I, I put that extra pressure on myself. Like I need to be great for the team. I need to score the goals for the team. I just play like hot garbage every time that that's my intention. And what ends up happening is that I will get angry at myself and angry at my team when either myself or my team is imperfect. Wait, let me see here. Does that mean that I'm always angry in those games? Yes. It means (laughs) that I'm always angry in those games because perfection doesn't exist in sport. Well, unless you're a goaltender, you lucky bastard. You get to have one of the rare positions in sport where there is perfect statistical data for you being perfect. But my intention when I, when the impact I'm having is at its greatest is connect connecting to myself, connecting to my team, connecting to the puck, to the moment. Connection is is my word that I use. And even that's the word, I don't use it every day. You can ask my wife, but when I do, I'm a great husband. <laughs> when I get home, park the vehicle, walk up the stairs, it's like I need to tell myself connect. If I don't, then all these other intentions that are built around kind of self-protection, resting, being alone, not being there for other people, I'm tired, kind of step in. So it's everywhere we go. We have secret agendas, secret intentions, and then we have the ones that we want to try to embody more and prioritize. And if we can do that, then there'll just be this positive cascade of improved relationships like all around us. And so impact versus intention. Take it everywhere you go, but remember that even in our first two episodes, this is the point that we're trying to highlight we can always do a better job of having a better impact on the people around us. So again, Linz, thank you so much for sharing today. Um, Again, I cannot wait for our next episode. Um, Leave a comment, contact us if there's something that you like or that you don't like. If there is a conversation that you feel, whether it's specifically within coach-athlete relationship, within sport that you think would be really beneficial for you to hear or learn more about, let us know. I'm going to do that cringy thing right now where I say like and subscribe. Do that gross thing that we all try to avoid doing, but it helps us know who our audience is, the kinds of conversations that you guys are wanting to have. Um, And if you know that there are people in your life that would benefit from hearing these conversations, don't do it for us. It's not for our data, our numbers. If you know that these conversations can improve the life of someone you know, send it over. Let them know. It's 30, what do we do? Eh, 35 minutes, not bad. Um, So again, thank you so much for listening and super excited for our next conversation. Thank you. Take care. Bye.